at our West Campus last week. Uh, so fun to see what God is doing there. They meet at 10 a.m. Um, at Northridge High School on Sunday mornings. Just so you know, um, we've really been working to bring alignment between these two campuses so that the services are identical. Same teaching, same worship packet, same children's ministry, same music. And, and that, that's why some weeks we'll be having John leading at worship at 15th Street and Dan at West. And then other weeks we'll have Dan at 15th Street and John at West. What, what we're really wanting is to have four identical Christ community services every weekend. Three of them at 15th Street and one out West. So we encourage you to check that out. Last week, we started a new teaching series entitled Taboo, The Things We Don't Talk About. And in this series, we are wanting to address some of those things that we may be struggling with personally, but are afraid to tell anyone, especially in church. Things like depression, which we looked at last week, or or loneliness, which we're going to talk about next week. Well, today, I want to talk about, we want to talk about same-sex attraction, What does a Christian do if they find themselves sexually attracted to the same gender? If they find themselves experiencing homosexual desires? Now, this particular area has a a stigma attached to it, especially in the church, so that anyone who struggles with it usually does so in secret and with a boatload of shame. I have a number of friends who love God and who wrestle, have wrestled with same-sex attraction in varying degrees over the years, and they they share with me how they feel such shame and spiritual confusion. They often feel alone in this struggle. And so I wanted to spend an entire message talking about this subject, specifically addressing those Christians who may struggle in silence. I want to talk about how God can meet you in that place. But this message is also for those of us who have, or in the future may have, a Christian friend or loved one experiencing these things. And honestly, it's a message for the church. For us as a church, we we need to move beyond the political rhetoric of our day and seriously wrestle with how God wants to respond, wants us to respond to the real people around us who may be secretly experiencing these desires. So what I want to do is look together at three critical questions that most anyone experiencing same-sex attraction is asking. Question number one, why am I this way? Why am I this way? Why am I attracted to the same sex? Why do I have these desires? And this is a very important question to wrestle with. It is often the question that drives the debate in our society. So on one side, we we have what we might refer to as the gay script. The gay script. This is the typical response from those who are fully embracing a gay lifestyle. For them, the answer to this question is, I was born this way. For as long as I can remember, I've had these desires. Some might even say, God made me this way. If this is how God made me, shouldn't I live according to how I was made? Now, in response to this, there has often been articulated what I would call a religious script, often coming from the church. The religious script says there must be a specific non-biological cause. There was something in your upbringing or your past experiences that caused this to happen. You You were born with normal desires, but something along the way redirected that. Now, the problem is both of these sides tend to have an all-or-nothing perspective. 
One side says it's all nature. It's all biological, a gay gene or whatever. The other side says it's all nurture. It's something in your past. But, but here's the reality. It's way more complicated than that. There are studies that have shown that in some cases, certain environmental factors can contribute to same-sex attraction. Things like a distant relationship with your same-gender parent or an emotionally clingy parent of the opposite gender or same-sex exploration or molestation or bullying or early same-sex experiences or encounters, sometimes these factors do contribute to a predisposition towards same-sex attraction. But, and this is very important, there are also many people who had none of these experiences growing up, but at a very early age realized they were attracted to the same gender. In preparation for this, I've been reading this excellent book entitled Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill. Hill is a a Christian man who has lived in this tension of experiencing same-sex attraction. And it's really a helpful book for anyone struggling with same-sex issues or anyone wanting to understand what that struggle is like for a Christian. Um, So the, the, the book's titled Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill. And in this book, he describes his own experience Raised in a Christian home, nothing abusive, nothing negative, no bullying, no negative relationship with either parent or anything like that. In the age of like eight, he began to experience this attraction to other boys. And the the same-sex attraction just grew over time. There was no external cause. And there are are thousands of stories just like that. My my point is this. It, it It is not really helpful for us to only view this issue through one of these two camps. It's not helpful to firmly plant ourselves in either the nature camp or the nurture camp because when we do that, it forces us to have have a very simplistic response to this issue. So if you camp on the nature side, the response is, I was born gay, that settles it, deal with it, this is who I am. And if you camp on the nurture side, the response is, you can change if you just wanted to. Just go to counseling and everything will be fixed. I mean, both of these responses are way too simplistic. So in contrast to the gay script and the religious script, let me offer what I would call a gospel script that seeks to provide an answer to this question, why am I this way? This script is rooted in in creation as described in Genesis 1 and 2. God created the world and all that is in it and, and all of it was good, it was perfect. He created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and they enjoyed this perfect relationship which included sexual intimacy. Their bodies were designed to experience this. You know, I'm not gonna go into an anatomy lesson but the biology works pretty well not only in terms of intimacy, but also in terms of procreation, the the creation of other little Adams and Eves. And all this was really good. It was how God designed us as humans. 
But then something awful happened. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against their creator. And at that moment, sin was unleashed on our planet at a level that, that, is, that, that was unimaginable. Sin permeated our humanity to the very core of our being. Into this place of perfection and beauty came disease and violence and self-centeredness and a distortion of, of, of good and beautiful things. And no place was this distortion more profoundly experienced than in our sexuality. Whereas before the fall, sex was this beautiful, incredible, powerful expression of committed love between a husband and wife. That's what it was before. Now sex became a self-centered experience, not as an, not as an expression of love, but a self-gratification, using sex to feel good about ourselves, using sex to get what we want, or using sex to exert power over other people. I mean, this beautiful and boundaried river of sexuality in Genesis 2 burst through the banks, burst through the banks, resulting in sexual desire run amok. And that's been the story of human sexuality ever since. Sexual immorality, rape, hooking up with strangers, strip clubs, pornography, prostitution, adultery, sexual addictions, sexual abuse, child sexual abuse, sex trafficking, where in India right now, young girls are forced to service 24 men every day. I mean, to think of what has happened since Genesis 3. How this beautiful, powerful expression of love and intimacy between a husband and a wife, as described in Genesis 2, and then reaffirmed by Jesus in Matthew 19, how that incredibly beautiful thing in marriage has become this corrupted, distorted, out-of-control force on our planet. And here's my point. Our sexuality, every one of us here, Every one of us, our sexuality has been deeply impacted by sin. This isn't simply a homosexual issue, a homosexuality issue. This is us. Sin has permeated our lives, including our sexuality. So when we ask, what is the origin of a person's homosexual desires? It's ultimately the same origin as our desire for pornography or adultery, or reading sexual fantasy novels, or sleeping around, or whatever. It is the reality of what sin has done to our humanity, including our sexuality. We are broken. Our sexuality has been distorted and infiltrated and undermined by sin. I mean, does it really matter if our struggle with porn or sexual fantasy or same-sex attraction is rooted in a genetic disposition we were born with, i.e. nature, or is the result of an emotionally unmet, you know, emotional, emotional unmet need growing up, i.e. nurture, does it really matter? No, it doesn't really matter. Regardless of the cause, we know from Scripture that it is outside Whatever we're talking about, it is outside of God's desire for us. 
His good plans for us. Any sexual engagement outside of a husband and wife relationship is outside of God's good plans for us. So for those of you who are experiencing same-sex attraction and you're wrestling with this question, why am I this way? I would just encourage you to root your soul in the truth of the story of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, that these same-sex desires are are, are part of the reality of living in a sin-stained world. They are not God-given desires. They are not a reflection of his ultimate desire for us as humans any more than a desire for adultery or pornography or fantasy is a reflection of his desire for us. All of these desires are ultimately a result of Genesis 3 and the extent to which sin has permeated our lives from the moment of our birth. Now, I know know this doesn't make anyone feel better about their situation. I realize that. But hopefully it helps lift this burden of needing to figure out and needing to know an exact cause for why you're the way you are. Your temptation toward same-sex attraction is in the same category as any other sexual temptation. It is ultimately the result of our brokenness as humans. Which leads to a second question. Who am I? Who am I? This is a critically important question as well that anyone you know, facing sexual, uh, same-sex attraction desires, all, they're asking this question also. And how, how you answer this question has huge ramifications for your life. So let me go back to the gay script, the gay script that I mentioned earlier. According to the gay script that many people are embracing today, homosexual desire is something a person is born with. And because of that, it is the determining factor of who you are as a person. Same-sex attraction is at the core of your identity. You are gay. And that identity then determines how you live your life. This, This is the gay script that many people, including many Christians, are embracing today. I was born this way. So this must be my identity. This is who I am. I'm gay or or I'm lesbian. Now often, this is the only script that's, that's being presented in our society. And that's extremely troubling. Studies reveal that most gay and lesbians begin experiencing same-sex attraction in their early teens. In their early teens. Sometimes even younger than that. So imagine... Being a Christian who's 12 years old, sitting in church, experiencing these same-sex desires that you, you can't really talk to anyone about. You, you, don't even, you, you may not even know what you're experiencing. You may not even know how to talk about it. And you hear occasionally from the pulpit that the Bible denounces homosexual behavior as an abomination, and, and so what do you do? You live with this incredible amount of hidden shame for these desires you have. Maybe a huge amount of fear that God's gonna, God's gonna send you to hell. So that's your life. Feeling ashamed and distant from God. Alone in your confusion. And let's say it goes on for six years 
six more years, and then you go to college. And at college, all of a sudden, you meet some people in a GLTB group, right? A gay and lesbian club. And, and, and you attend a meeting and you hear the script, the script described. This is who you are. God made you this way. The only way for you to be fulfilled is, is to embrace your God-given sexuality. So what do you choose? A path of fear and guilt and shame or this supposed path of authenticity and freedom? I mean, no wonder many young people give up on their faith and embrace this new identity. I mean, think of the choice. But is that the only alternative Thankfully, no. Let let, let me mention another element of this gospel script, and, and that's this. In Christ, I am given a new identity. In Christ, I am given a new identity. My sexuality does not define me any more than my vocation or my marital status, or my children's successes, or my nationality, or my college degrees, or my being a parent, or my being a man, or my being a pastor defines me. No, none of those things ultimately define me. What defines me is my relationship with Christ. In Christ, I am permanently adopted into God's family as his beloved son or daughter forever. Anyone who is in Christ, this is our identity. Uh, we, we, are, we are loved and treasured children of God. We are a new creation. Listen, listen as I read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes this, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is, this is one of the passages, there, there are a number, but this is one of the passages in the Bible where homosexuality, homosexual behavior is specifically mentioned. And, and just a side note, there, there are those who try to argue that this passage doesn't really talk about homosexuality. It's talking about gay, pro, you know, homosexual prostitution. All these things. I just think it's a stretch, grammatically speaking, to say that this doesn't address um, same-sex um, behavior. I think it clearly does grammatically. So, so Paul specifically mentions homosexual behavior. But, but look at what else is in this list. Sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, stealing, speaking badly about another person, slandering another person. Paul doesn't single out homosexual behavior, you know, putting it in a unique category of sin. He places it in the, in the list with things that we all struggle with, like greed or slander. Now notice what Paul says next, verse 11 And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what some of you were. Past tense. 
Now, now he's not saying that after becoming a Christian, we will no longer struggle with any of these things. No greed, no problem with greed, you know, sexual immorality, homosexual behavior. That's not what he's saying. That's not reality. But what he is saying is that when we place our trust in Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead for us, at that moment we place our trust in him, we're justified, meaning all of our sin is forgiven, past, present, future. All of it is nailed to the cross. We are given new life. We become a new person with a new identity. Our sin no longer defines us. In fact, it's very interesting. Look at this list again. Look again up or listen how Paul lists these things. He doesn't list them in terms of behavior. He lists them in terms of people. Did you notice that? He doesn't say slander. He says a slanderer, i.e. a person who slanders. He doesn't say adultery. He says adulterers. Adultery is what defines them. He, he, he is describing people whose sin defines them. And because of that, they continue down that road without the slightest twinge of repentance. And Paul says here, that's what some of you were before you met Christ. Your sin defined you then, but no longer. No longer. These sins no longer define who you are. When you place your trust in Jesus, in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, at that moment, you receive a completely new identity. You are forever a beloved child of God. You have a righteous standing before God permanently. Completely loved by him. Nothing can change that. This is who you are. So for those of you who are Christians, you've placed your trust in Christ and you struggle with same-sex attraction, I want you to hear something loud and clear. You are not a gay man. You are not a lesbian. You are not a homosexual. These things do not define you. You are a beloved son or daughter of God. You are a new creation in whom the very spirit of God dwells. That's who you are. Now, I'm not minimizing the reality of your struggle with same-sex attraction, but that attraction doesn't define you. Even though the world will tell you that it does, it doesn't. Our sexual desires do not define us. Even though they are deeply personal and they seem to impact us at the core of our beating, I get that, but, but, but what ultimately defines us is our relationship with Jesus. If you have placed your trust in him, he loves you. You are his beloved child. That is what is most deeply true of you. Now, why is this important? It's important because so often Christians who experience same-sex attraction feel an incredible amount of confusion and shame, an incredible amount of self-hatred. In, in the book, Washed and Waiting, that I mentioned earlier, this is how the author describes it. He says, in my life and in the lives of many others, shame has been a constant struggle. Guilt over homosexual sin, a nagging, unshakable feeling of being damaged goods, a sense of being broken beyond repair, and therefore of being regularly, unavoidably displeasing to God. 
these all seem endemic to much homosexual Christian experience. Now, when a person lives under that kind of shame, I mean, it it just inevitably leads us into all sorts of unhealthy places. Sometimes it leads us right back into our sin, which makes us feel even more ashamed. Sometimes it leads us into just depression or withdrawing from relationships or spiritual engagement. For some people, as I mentioned a moment ago, it, it it leads them to reject Christianity entirely. Or, this is happening a lot today, trying to redefine Scripture so that somehow it allows for homosexual practice. All all of this is an attempt to find relief from the shame attached to this struggle. And so so what all of us as Christians need, including those who who struggle with same-sex attraction, but I'm talking for all of us here, what we all need is to know in our soul that we are loved by God, period. That we are not damaged goods. Jesus paid for our sin, all of it. We are not a disappointment to him. We are not spiritual orphans. We are his. We belong to him. And not only that, he rose from the dead so that we might experience new life in him. This is what is absolutely true of us who are in Christ. It's absolutely true of us. That's our identity. That's who we are. Which leads to a third critical question that any, any Christian struggling with same-sex desire is asking. How am I to live my life? How am I to live then? If you're someone who experiences same-sex attraction, I'm sure you have spent hours and many, many hours and prayers and processing wrestling with this question. How then am I supposed to live? What do I do with these desires? Now again, the gay script that is so often promoted in our society encourages you just to live out your same-sex attraction. That the only way you can truly be fulfilled and happy is to embrace who you are as a gay person and live out that in your relationships and your sexual involvements. But God invites us to a different pathway, a gospel pathway. He invites us to live our lives continually embracing the wonder and the new life found in the gospel. Now, here's the deal. This pathway I'm describing here, this pathway isn't a special pathway for you. It is not a special pathway for you. It is the pathway of every believer in Christ who is wanting to walk with Jesus. It is the pathway of every believer in Christ. Every believer in Jesus walks with a limp in some area. Every one of us here, every believer in Jesus walks with a limp in some area. We all have issues. We all have vulnerabilities. We all have sins that eat our lunch. The gospel never The gospel never encourages us to just settle into a life in which we just keep giving more and more territory to these sins. It never encourages that. I mean, and we all know these sins don't bring life, bring us life, rather they they bring us more and more under their power. The more we give into sin, the, the more it owns us. We all know that. You see, God invites us, all of us, to live in the fullness of his gospel, the fullness of his power. And that involves three things. First, owning our brokenness. 
owning our brokenness, admitting our need. The Bible refers to this as repentance. We admit to him our struggle. He knows all about it anyway. And and remember, he loves you. He loves you. So bring that struggle to him. Bring your shame to him. Remember, he hung naked on a cross for you. He knows what shame feels like. So let him love you in this place of shame and brokenness. Now, some people have found help, some help, in seeing a Christian counselor and exploring if these desires are rooted in some pain in your past. By bringing the healing of Jesus into those places of pain, you may experience a greater sense of victory in this area. Now, that doesn't mean your same-sex desires will completely disappear and, and now you'll just have homo, hetero, excuse me, heterosexual desires. 180-degree term. doesn't mean that. But it may mean that your same-sex attraction may lessen in certain ways. It may, the power of that may lessen in certain ways. So for some, counseling can help. But let me be clear that for others, it doesn't help lessen those desires. And either way... It's critical that we own our brokenness. Bring our broken, we bring our brokenness to Jesus. Second essential aspect of this gospel pathway for all of us, but including those who, who experience same-sex attraction, second aspect of this gospel pathway is living by faith. Living by faith. Looking to Jesus as your life, your hope, your strength. Pursue him. Love him. Go deeper in your intimacy and your relationship with him via prayer and the word and and worship and fellowship with other believers. Again, this is not a special pathway for the Christian, for just for the Christian who experiences same-sex attraction. No, this is the pathway for all of us as we seek to walk according to God's plan and desires. This is how any of us battle our besetting sins. Through a vibrant, growing faith in and love for Jesus. I love how the, the writer of Hebrews describes this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Look at this. He, or listen as I read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, that's our journey as Christians. That's the path. Throwing off the sin that entangles us and continuing to throw off the sin that entangles, either that's repentance, and then looking to Jesus. That's, that's faith. And I love, I love the fact that the author mentions perseverance. Running this race with perseverance. You know, we don't talk enough about this in the church, do we? Just don't give up. Stay the course. Keep walking with God. When you fall, get back up. I mean, James 1 says, blessed is the one who perseveres in trial. You are blessed for getting up every day and facing this battle in the power of the Spirit. Keep going. Keep staying the course. It's worth it. There is fullness of life and joy at the end of this battle. 
And let me just remind us too that, that experiencing temptation is not sinful. Jesus was tempted. It's not sinful to be tempted. It, it, it's not sinful to be tempted towards same-sex behavior any more than it's sinful to be tempted to look at porn. I mean, temptation only becomes sinful when we give in. So don't beat yourself up for experiencing same-sex desires. The, the, the battle is in whether or not you act on those desires. That's the battle. Which is why it's so critical that we keep looking to Jesus. Sometimes we fall, sometimes we give in, but we keep getting up and we keep looking to him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We're not the pioneer of our faith. We're not the perfecter of our faith. He is, and we keep looking to him. There's one more, there's one more essential aspect of this gospel pathway, and that's community. Community, being on this journey, connected with other believers. You see, you are not alone in this battle. There are, there are others who struggle with same-sex attraction, others in this body who struggle with same-sex attraction. But more than that, you know what? We all struggle with certain sins, myself included. I wrestle with shame. I wrestle with desires that sometimes don't align with God's desires for me. And sometimes those desires feel really powerful and I choose to give in. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. But I say this to let you know we are all in this battle together. And we, at, we are at times victorious in resisting temptation and other times not. But we keep getting up. We keep dusting ourselves off and pursuing Jesus. All the while longing for heaven when we will finally and completely be whole. But until then, as Paul says in this amazing, I don't have time to look at it here, but I'll, let me read part of it. In Romans 8, Paul says in Romans 8, we in, until then we inwardly groan. We groan as we eagerly await for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I mean, what a vivid picture. Yes, our redemption is coming one day. But until then, you know what? We groan. It is hard to follow Jesus in these bodies. We yearn for that day when we will be, we will be completely free from these sin-stained bodies. And that will be a glorious day. But you know what? We're not there yet. And so while we are here, we admit our brokenness, we look to Jesus, and we do so in community with others. Now here's the only way that last thing can happen. We have got to be a church where it's okay for people to struggle with this sin. We all have sins we struggle with, but for some reason, we tend to put this one in a special category. Same-sex attraction in a special category. That, this special category thing has to stop. God is calling us to be a church that is encouraging each other to embrace the gospel, admitting our brokenness and looking to Jesus no matter what our particular temptation happens to be. You see, I want us to be a church where people would feel comfortable saying to another person here, hey, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with same-sex desires. I'm feeling really tempted in this area right now. I need someone to come alongside me in this battle. Are you willing to be that person? 
to come alongside a friend who is struggling. This is so important. I, I didn't fully understand this until recently reading a couple books about homosexual desire and all that and, and, and the Christian and wrestling with that. One of the deepest struggles that a person with same-sex attraction has is loneliness. We, we all long to be loved and wanted by the people around us and yet because of the shame associated with this particular struggle, sometimes close relationships can be difficult. But they are crucial Healthy, loving relationships are crucial for all of us. And the church, the church is the ideal context for these relationships to happen. If they can't happen here, where are they going to happen? I mean, we have the cross for goodness sake. We have the gospel. We have grace. If they can't happen here, where? And, And let me point out something else here. Intimacy is not synonymous with sex. A person can experience fulfilling, intimate relationships that are not sexual. Jesus was the most fulfilled human being to ever live, and he never experienced sexual intimacy. Now, you may be wondering, okay, what about someone who says, I'm a Christian and I'm gay, and I'm going to embrace both of these things. I'm going to practice Christianity and homosexuality. You know what? That's really not a biblical option anymore than if a person said to me, I'm a Christian and an adulterer. Or I'm a Christian and a sexual fantasizer. I'm embracing both of these things. The Bible doesn't give us that option. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6 when when he talked about slanderers and and homosexuals and adulterers and and, and, and gossips. He didn't say, "Hey, hey, it's okay to just keep doing these things. It's okay. No, no, no. He said, these things were true of you, but not anymore. You have been forgiven and sanctified, which means you have been set apart for God's purposes. You are a new person. Live in the fullness of your new identity in Christ. See, that's the message of the gospel for all of us. We're not perfect, but we are pursuing Jesus together. And it's not easy. (laughs) But you know what? It's ultimately not about us, is it? It is ultimately about him, about his glory shining in our weaknesses. I love how Wesley Hill, in the book Washington Waiting, I love how he states this in his book. He, he says, it's about battling together for holiness in repentance and faith on a daily basis. It's about the church being the church as we all struggle toward wholeness. That's what it's about. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come and you've been speaking to our hearts and we pray you would continue to do that. I want to begin just with an invitation for anyone at all of our locations, anyone. I just feel like it's important for you to know that this invitation is for you. This invitation Jesus extends is for you. 
to be forgiven, sanctified to have his presence living in you, to be loved for eternity, to have your sins forgiven. That invitation is for you. And if you have never said yes to Jesus, the invitation is not, hey, clean up your life, get rid of these desires, clean up your life, clean up your language, all that stuff, and then come to me. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Are you thirsty for a relationship with Jesus? Are you thirsty for forgiveness and for his spirit to come live in you? And for you to have a relationship with him where your identity is not about you, any aspect of who you are, it's about his love for you and you being a child of his. Are you interested in that? If so, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. You can say yes to him. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Just pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. And you can enter into a relationship with him through Christ. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner separated from you. You're holy and I'm not. I am separated from you, but I don't want to be. And I thank you that the path to you is not about me working hard and trying to make myself better. It's about you coming to me. You came to me through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you died on a cross paying the penalty I should have paid. You took my sin upon yourself. And I'm amazed that you did that for me. And I'm choosing right now to place my whole self in your hands. All my shame and all my failures and all my sin, all of it. I bring it all to you and I just place it on you. (laughs) Because you died for me on the cross. And I'm leaving it there. I ask you to forgive my sin, past, present, and future, and now come live in me through the power of your spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Thank you that I am now a new person with a new identity. My sin does not define me. My relationship with you, your love for me, that's what defines me. So Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer with me. Thank you that they have entered into a new relationship with you that's not based on their performance. It's not based upon their level of purity. It's not at all. It's based solely on your work on the cross. I pray that they would grow in this relationship with you. And Lord, I also want to just pray for anyone here who who struggles with same-sex attraction. I pray. I pray that they would listen to a gospel script that invites them to live according to this new identity and that invites them to live the gospel in community with others. And so I pray for them to be encouraged. I pray for them to be strengthened in the battle, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a church, and us as individuals, we would be people who love well and who come alongside other believers in this battle and say, yeah, I'm on your team. I want to be with you in this battle. I pray we would be that kind of a church. So for those who are wrestling with these things, I pray you would, you would 
help them find people they could trust in this body just to share with and to have these people enter in with them in this battle. I pray for that. I just want to pray that our hearts would be, if we've had unhealthy attitudes in this area, Lord, that you would break us of that and we would all see our brokenness, even our sexual brokenness. And we would realize we all need Jesus. And we are all on this journey, this race together, laying aside the sins that so easily entangle us and running with perseverance this race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're all fixing our eyes on you, Jesus. We need you. I pray for all of us, no matter what our battles are, we would persevere. We would keep going, even when it's hard, even when we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly body, even then, sustain us and help us grow towards you. Thank you, God. We love you, God. I want to invite you to stand, all of our campuses, if you would stand right now. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship and opportunities to focus on the Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And around the room, there will be intercessors wearing red lanyards. They would love to pray with you. If any of you would like anything coming up, you have surgery coming up, just need healing prayer or encouragement, related to the sermon or not, just invite you to, to just slip out of your seat at any point. Go to these people. They would love to pray with you. So, Father, I want to pray for these intercessors at all of our campuses that are praying for people. I pray your grace upon them, your fullness upon them. And now, Lord, we ask you to set us free to worship you. Jesus, we love you. What an amazing Savior you are.